Welcome, listeners of Illusion to Temporal Discussion, the episode-by-episode nightmare retrospective podcast. I'm Martin Harder, and thanks to this episode, I'll now make a mean casserole. And by mean, I mean average. And I'm Martin Ogioni, and I make curries. And I eat curries. I eat a lot of curries. Lister from Lead Dwarf is an amateur compared with me when it comes to curries. <laughs> Every single morning of my life, you will always know where to find me, okay? Are we disgusting enough, yes? I just got this vision of you walking into curries, eating a curry. I'm never going to walk into Dixon's. I mean, that sounds rude, Dixon's. So I'm not going to go to Dixon's. I'm, of course, it'll be curries. Although curries is actually run by Dixon Stores Group, which yeah. is a great, a great, a great shame. Remember Rumbelows? Yeah, I do. Was that was that Dixon's as well? I don't think it was. No, I think I think they were eventually. Uh, the, I think they might have been taken over by Dixon's eventually, mm. but uh, I'm pretty sure they were on their own. They, they even used to sponsor um, one of the football competitions in the 1980s. The League Cup was called the Rumbelows Cup because of them. But uh, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not absolutely sure what did happen to Rumbelows in the end. I'm, I'm not sure they're that missed because, of course, they don't provide curries. What about Comet? Oh, Comet's still around, isn't it? No, no, Comet went under a couple of years ago. Oh, did it? Oh, right. oh, well. Another victim of the COVID, I suppose. They provided cookers, so they could technically provide curry. Yeah, white goods, I think, is the term, which is yes. uh, used to cover all sorts of electrical appliances. So, yeah. I remember the big comet in Southampton. My parents used to go there whilst on the way to visiting my grandparents. And they had a section called the Games Master Zone, which was exactly how it sounded it was licensed to games master and they had all like the new video games and you could play them and it was excellent this guy tried all 250 games available in the games master zone at comet before choosing the one he wanted and this kid didn't so if you want to play before you pay you know where to come sounds exciting did they do curries there though they had a cafe so possibly. Okay, okay, I'll give that one a plus then. Yeah, okay. Today we're looking at Series 3, Episode 14. It was broadcast on Friday the 8th of December 1989. New Kids on the Block was still at number one with You've Got It, The Right Stuff. Ghostbusters 2 was still at number one movie. And in the news, Great Britain conducted the Aqueduct Stroke Barnwell Nuclear Missile Test. It is believed that the devices were Trident warheads. This occurred mere days after the Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, American President George Bush and Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev announced the end of the Cold War on December the 3rd. Whilst many believe that the American Star Wars program and the proxy war in Afghanistan caused the USSR to collapse, there are others who believe the USSR's sudden transition to a free market system created an economic collapse of the communist state. Mm. Uh, first thing is first, Star Wars program, absolutely nothing to do with it, okay? Um, they're trying to say that they um, that, that Russians trying to compete with it uh, starve their economy, but their economy is being destroyed by all sorts of other things by that point. The boasts about it for America are generally just Americans needing to feel that they played a big role in, in destroying the USSR mm. to justify their insane military investments. The Afghan war played a role because it did drain a lot of resources and tired out the uh, the Soviet military and, yeah. and Soviet industry. But the real killer, as far as I'm concerned, was Chernobyl. When the uh, nuclear reactor in Pripyat blew up, it cut the power supply of around half the USSR's west boundary territories and uh, the resources needed to contain the fallout and prevent a follow-up blast that would have probably destroyed organised society across Europe, basically paralysed what, what industry they had left. So that's that's the real reason. Um, the free market stuff didn't really happen until after the Soviet Union um, was dissolved. It was the CIS that was brought to its knees by the, the, 
sudden switch to a free market. December the 6th, and I know you'll have something to say about this, which is good because I barely remember it. December the 6th saw the temporary cancellation of one of the BBC's landmark TV programmes as the original run of Doctor Who came to an end. Five million people tuned in to wave goodbye to Sylvester McCoy's Doctor in Survival Part 3, after which the show was put on a lengthy hiatus until it returned with Christopher Eccleston in 2005. Wrong! It was put on hiatus until the first revival attempt in 1996. Oh, the the Paul McGann one. In a distinctly iffy American co-production. It was out of action for about six years um, until a guy from England who'd become a big thing in American TV, I think his name was Hamblin or something, he got control of the uh, 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 he got the uh, rights to create um, a telly movie plus a follow up series if the telly movie was successful. Yeah, it's what they call um, a backdoor pilot. Yeah, unfortunately, I think the nights that um, the the pilot was broadcast on US television, it had it went head to head against Roseanne, which had one of its most important ever episodes in it, um, and it got, it got absolutely blasted in the ratings. So, well, it took another nine years for the series to actually come back properly. Well, it probably doesn't help that the pilot was a bit crap as well. It could have been better. I think the problem that they had when they were when they were making it was there were loads of different ideas about what the um, the film should be um, from so many different areas that they ended up, end up trying to please everybody if it came up with something that pleased <laughs> nobody. It's, it's a familiar story, unfortunately. Yeah, they retconned it, didn't it, to make the Doctor half human? That was the least of its problems, unfortunately. It, w- it was very irritating, but mm. uh, they're trying to turn him into a sort of Mr. Spock character. I will say, I, I did actually enjoy Paul McGann as the Doctor, and I also enjoyed Eric Roberts just hamming it up beyond belief as the Master. Yeah, he originally got a lot of praise back in 1996 for the performance, but afterwards, um, the Doctor Who fan base rather took against him. But I I have to admit, I actually do rather enjoy his performance as the Master. I don't really see how else you can carry out those lines that he was given in the latest latest stages of it. I I don't see a better way of delivering them. He makes it very pompous and over the top. He mock-dreads it. He mock-dreads the Master. Yeah. Yeah, to, to a point. But I think in the, in the early stages when he's um when he's very very straight and very very flat humoured, I, I, th- I think that's actually a pretty good riff on the original uh, master from the early seventies. He did know his stuff. He did know how to play the role. People who tell him off for um, taking the piss out of the Terminator. That was what he was given to do. Exactly. So I, I don't really blame him for that. Those awful scenes when he says when he actually has to say I'll be back or something to that <laughs> effect in the hospital. He, he had no choice. That was what that was what he was given. They did dress him up in um a leather coat with sunglasses. What else could he do? He's a very talented actor when he's given the right role. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So back to December the 8th, and ITV attracted its largest ever viewing figures up to that point. Sadly, not for Nightmare, but for the episode of Coronation Street in which Alan Bradley is fatally run over by a Blackpool tram. All been looking for you, and I found you, and I'm taking your back up. Get in the car! Go back, you stupid bitch!
The episode was watched by over 6 million people. Was the moment of impact with the tram accompanied by the loud tolling of a medieval bell and, and uh, <laughs> a cast member saying, oh dear, what a pity, never mind. Because if it didn't, I don't care. And now time turns, the recording night burns, time out is gone, the podcast is on. I thought it was you. You must forgive the jollity, but here in the dungeon we've been celebrating an unbeaten record. It's almost year's end and no one from your time has defeated us. Hmm, perhaps wits and skill have been outbred in your era. The score, in case you needed reminding, is Dungeon 10, Humans Nil. Let's have a look at that scoreboard. Nine nil it was, but then came ten. Or four from Leicester, maids, not men. And four who journeyed far and low where goblins hunt and ravens crow. And there below, despite their best, the goblins finished off their quest. Now Team Eleven's in the game, and Martin is their leader's name. They're hoping that some Yorkshire grit will see them safely through the pit. So far, they've spun and swam and ran, and even told a merry jest, but still they're trapped in level one. Let's watch them now. They've had their rest. Well, it's an automatic fail for the uh, grotesque grammar um, in the dungeon ditty of they've ran. Yeah. It's automatic, I just, I can't, I can't abide that. Um, but yes, you've noticed uh, Treyguard is being quite anti-dungeoneer at the start of this episode. He's, like, mm. he's talking a bit like his old self here, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, there's a few throwbacks to, to previous series in this episode. There are indeed, yeah. Treyguard's general behaviour is still very much season three Treyguard here, but he's celebrating a 10-0 winning streak um, for the dungeon. So a little bit of a memory of the earlier Treyguard with his horse manure hair. So we've got 10 and men, low and crow, best and quest, game and name, grit and pit. And then the rhyming scheme just literally f***s off on holiday. I think it's meant to be spun and ran, which doesn't rhyme. And then jest and rest. That's the worst thing about the automatic fail there. He says they've ran. But if he just said they've run, that would have actually rhymed with spun. <laughs> You've got, you got to give a massive fail just for the pointlessness of losing the grammar there. So three out of ten from me. There's also a sudden jarring change of the rhyming scheme. Yeah, you can't stay tuned into it, can you? No. When we tell you to go, you've got to walk fast. We rejoin Martin and his teammates, Darren, Lee and Jamie from Yorkshire in the Salamander Room. Martin's just entered through the cave on the left and has to avoid both the fire traps and the ghost of a previous adventurer in order to exit. The bones of the ghost, as well as the Helmet of Justice, are scattered across the path. Despite Martin stopping directly on the first fire trap, he makes it to the bottom of the screen. Martin almost trips over one of the bones, but he makes it to the other side, avoiding the haunting. He then makes it safely over the second fire trap and through to the next area. Yeah, it's a very poorly timed cutaway to the advisors, just as Martin's stopping on the crack in the ground there. I'm wondering if the producers were trying to hide how badly they've actually, <laughs> how bad the manoeuvring was there. <laughs> yeah, I did think um, that. It's, it's not all that well handled by the team at this early stage, but they do improve quickly after here. Given they have to go over both um, of the fire cracks, I think they actually did. Actually, they did actually handle it pretty well overall. They had a slight stumble on the first one and then got it straightened out for the second one. Where am I? 
you're in a room. It's got low walls. Uh, to the on the wall to your left, there's there's somebody tied up by the hands, tied to the wall. There's three exits in front of you and to your left and your right. Yeah. Mm. Keep away from me! Prisoner though I be, you'll lose skin if you come any closer. Hmm, what we appear to have here, team, is a maiden in distress. However, this elf warrior seems none too friendly and doesn't seem to want your help, even if she needs it. Decisions here, team. If you use the key, you'll certainly free her. But will she prove grateful? And of course, you'll no longer have the key to use for yourself. Decisions for time is pressing. Let's just get this out of the way because I know that you're just going to keep correcting me. So I'm just going to say Van Burn. Okay. 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 I'm just going to say Van Burn. Okay. Because, I, mean, because I was I was going to say something at this point, but okay, I'm, I'm happy to go along with that. So I, I won't I won't say what I was going to say. That no, you, well, no. What, what were you going to no, say? No, 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 no. What were you going to say? That's binding. What were you going to say? You just said you just said you're going to say you've got to say Van Burn from now on. What were you going to say? All right. Um, um I've uh, had a look around. Um, and I found there is actually no record at all of it being pronounced Van Burn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> whereas we do have um, David Rowe's book saying Van Burn. So I was going to say, I was, <laughs> I was going to concede to you there, but you've now, it's too late. It's too late. You've, you've already lost. You've already, you've already committed to losing. So you have to say Van Burn. I win. And onto the veil of Van Burn. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Martin is immersed in the courtyard that usually acts as the entrance to the Vale. In fact, it's not onto the Vale, is it? That's the irony of this whole thing. We're not even actually at the Vale of, Van, of Vanburn here at all. The area resembles its Series 2 guys when it was used for Ariadne's lair. Instead of a giant arachnid, though, Velda appears to be chained up, and Martin is holding a key that could spell her freedom. Will the team keep it for future use, or will they help the Elf Maiden? It is getting quite nostalgic in this episode so far, isn't it? We've got the fire cave back, and now we've got Ariadne's lair. I mean, I wouldn't keep the key for later here. It's a very obvious morality test that uh, the team are getting. It would be interesting to learn who captured Velda and why, though. What did she do? <laughs> or, what is, or what is somebody trying to prevent her from doing? The team guide Martin to where Velda stands, and he unlocks her shackles. Grateful for her freedom, but aware that she should keep moving to avoid recapture, Velda imparts some important information before running away. Oh. <laughs> well, I suppose I should thank you, human. But it comes hard to my lips. However, you will find that the elven kin are not ungenerous. I must leave this place at once. But before I do so, know this as the truth. No way can flesh pass the moving wall. And yet, to reach the well way, you must pass it. The second step is the lion. Farewell! Bye. Yeah, just to mention, uh, runaway winner for Double Entendre of the Week has to be Velda announcing that it comes hard to my lips. Uh, don't pretend that you didn't notice that one. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm going to give you that one. <laughs> <laughs> the team guide Martin through the centre door. Okay, what, what followed? followed? 
Where am I? You're standing in a, a long corridor. There's four exits, two on the wall to your right, two on the wall to your left. The wall's moving. We've arrived in the corridor of the catacombs. Play that jingle. It's the great court of the catacombs But listen up, it's different this time Cause you see, it's the thing The power is closing in And making the space more confined Taking into account Velda's clue The team quickly cast the ghost spell to take them through the moving wall Spell casting. G H O S T. Well, now he's a ghost. I suggest you guide him out. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Walk forward. Walk forward. Keep going. <laughs> This turns Martin into a haunting, complete with an ethereal helmet of justice, and he is able to pass through the wall. Interesting, we don't get any kind of um, sound effect for changing chambers there. Where am I? You're in a, a sort of cavern. There's an exit to the wall on your right, and there's a well, which is probably the way to level two, and there's a knight. Ah, I see. The wellway is guarded. It just remains to discover if this guard is superstitious or not. On the other side of the wall, they find Martin still in his ghost form. He's in the wellway chamber. There's a large knight here, which um, could well be another behemoth guarding the well. Um, the team instruct Martin to scare the guard, which well, he does by shouting, Oi. which doesn't sound particularly <laughs> ghost-like to me. <laughs> but he does get the knight's attention. And then Martin follows up with um, a more traditionally haunting... And the uh, guard uh, runs away rather frantically. And the team decide that this is the right moment to return Martin to normal by dispelling. Dispel. T-S-O-H-G. Question. Yeah. They go straight through the wall into the wellway chamber. Does that mean the wellway chamber is also moving when the wall moves? I've often wondered that myself. I'm trying to figure out how this would work on a map, so to speak. Um, I, I, it, could, it could be that the, the whole dungeon is moving behind the wall. I, I don't yeah. know. But um, it's pretty clear that if they'd gone through the doorways in the corridor instead of using the ghost spell, they wouldn't have wound up in the wellway room. Mm. So is the wellway room just on the other side of that wall? And if the wall moves, the, the wellway moves with it. Or is the wall moving at all? Is the corridor moving? That's possible as well, yeah. The corridor could be sliding forward and the wall is standing still. That logistically would make more sense. As Einstein is quoted as saying, at what time does Oxford stop at this train? Mm. Oh, oh, actually, no, it wouldn't. It would make more sense for the well chamber to be moving, actually, because that's just one chamber. Whereas if you were moving the corridor, you'd have to yeah. move the entire dungeon before that. So, what we've well. basically got is we've got a wall um, in the middle of level one that stays exactly where it is, and the entire rest of the dungeon moves backwards and forwards. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not sure about that, actually. Uh, <laughs> It's it, it's it's not it, it's not impossible when you're talking about the dungeon, but I don't I don't know. We, no. we just have to call it magic. 
This may not be the most dramatic way a guard has ever been defeated by a dungeoneering nightmare, but I do find it very entertaining for some reason, the way the actor in the armour portrays an attack of the willies. Yeah. So he grabs both sides of his, <laughs> the side of his head and turns the scarpers off. I, I genuinely find that really entertaining. I think part of it is uh, Martin's attempt to scare him by going, Oi! You know, Martin reverts his human form and they guide him into the well and he leaves the unused bottle on the side. We will never find out what that was for. Where am I? You're in a room. You're on a, a disc and it's spinning round. There's one, two, three, four exits and another one which is blocked up. Behind you, to your, to your um, right, there's a, a jar. It, it could be food. Right. Could you? Here we have it then. The way ahead to the way below. All roads lead to Rome, they say, and certainly all of these will lead you into different parts of level two. The problem is to bring Martin safely through one of them, for a fall here would be fatal. The team awkwardly tried to guide Martin to pick up the pineapple that's on the disc with him, initially getting him to bend forward when it's behind him. Yeah, it's it's very crafty, the production team, to put the pineapple behind the dungeoneer like that. And in fact, the team aren't as far wrong as they might seem. They're following the logic of the pineapples behind Martin, but on a turning dick, so it should come round to be in front of him in a few seconds. It's just they're forgetting that Martin is on the disc as well, <laughs> and therefore he's turning with it. But it's it actually that would work if the centre of the of the spin dizzy was standing still and the and the thing yeah. was turning round there. It would actually make sense. So they're not they're not as quite as ridiculously wrong as it seems. Well, even so, they really shouldn't need mm-hmm. to have Traegard tell them to turn not really, around no. first. Not really, no, not really, no. It does look very, very silly, and I feel sorry for him. Once they do get the pineapple knapsack, the team then continue to describe the chamber. Oh, sorry, there's five exits. None of them are blocked up. Doesn't matter. Right, let's get off this then. Yeah, I get the feeling when you listen to listen to Martin saying, let's get off this thing, don't worry about it, never mind that. You do get the feeling that we have a dungeoneer here on a spin dizzy who has been spun very dizzy by now <laughs> and is yeah. in, real, in a real hurry to get a move on. So the team going to the edge and since all the doors are unmarked, they lead him through the central door. It's a tidy jump, but possibly not the ideal exit, seeing the classic scene we come to next. A large room with four exits, but the two exits on the far wall are blocked and guarded by a large monster. Danger to life force team, get him out now. Yay! What is it, Mr. H? Tell me, tell me. It's the catacomb bite. Yay! <laughs> Still my favourite monster. Back for the first time this series, and we see it for about five seconds. Yeah, slight letdown there. Uh, you notice that Catacomb Ride has been animated rather differently now. In the first two scenes, it just kept on repeating a cycle of motions, often led it to look in the wrong direction. Now it's actually watching him walk across. It's the same animations, it's just... It makes more sense, like it really is watching the Dungeoneer now. Mm. The downside is that to achieve this, it has to keep freeze-framing, 
back and forth over the same couple of movements over and over, making it look a lot less fluid and much more static than it did before. The horrible breathing sound is still being used in the background, and that's as effective as ever, which is uh, still, it's still the best. There's a plus and minus over the way they've changed the animation, but it's still the best. And the scene is made even scarier by the addition of a ghost. A very fast ghost as well. Yeah. <laughs> so all of a sudden, it's a... Uh, I think I think they realised it was superfluous, so they hurried it across so it could not look <laughs> superfluous. If there is a problem with a team that's got um, plenty of initiative, it's sometimes the scene doesn't have enough time to unfold before they're already out of the room. Martin is basically, he's um, on the threshold of the exit, just as the ghost is appearing out of the left-hand door. So, um, well, there wasn't really much point in adding that, was there? They're not exactly needing, to, <laughs> needing chasing down here. They're getting a move on anyway. It is really just walking in a straight line uh, in the end, though. The catacomb bite is to give it a, a permanent sense of menace to the room, and the hauntings added in to add some urgency. But by then, it's, it, it, it's superfluous. He's already at the exit. Mm. It's quick, decisive manoeuvring. Seem, seems a little bit rushed because they just got on with it without waiting for prompting. But but it's action and it's fast, so yeah. it's, it, 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 it's it's definitely not boring. Run, run forward, quickly, quickly, quickly! Forward, quicker! Quick! Go! <sighs> Where am I? You're in a square room. There's, um... Only one exit, which is to your right, on the right wall. Um, down the stairs, which are in front of you, on, along the floor, there's a large table with, a, with something on it. To your a right... caution, team. An oracle is here. But before you deal with that, the matter of food has become urgent. After a dwarf tunnel and a horrible jump cut, where Challenge decided to put an ad break in the broadcast we're using... Martin appears at the top of the stairs in the level two clue room. Sorry, Lofton's Oracle of Confusion is present, and there is a block of cheese on the altar. This gets knapsacked, restoring Martin's life force to green. Now listen, team. Oracles know much, but their knowledge is often jumbled and confusing, for they do not rate any one factor as being more important than any other. Martin, to hear its message, you must turn and face it, close your eyes very tightly, and raise the helmet of justice slightly above your head. Raw ox liver, two pounds of onions, and stew for two hours over a slow charcoal fire. Serve with extra vegetables as required. For the best sword, weld strips of iron and steel together and hammer the result into a blade. The third step is the crystal. The crystal, dread mock, who causes all confusion. You have been warned. You have been warned. Go on with the helmet, Martin. You've heard enough. Armed with the knowledge that the crystal is the third step, not to mention a pretty tasty sounding casserole recipe. The team send Martin out of the room. I just ask you, have you ever tried making the stew? It's it's not a casserole, it's a stew. Have you, have you, have you, have you ever tried making it? Uh, not that particular one, no. Uh, it's, it's a shame because it's very nutritious, but a charcoal fire is not advisable as it doesn't cook it through. 
I've tried 15 years ago and I actually did try a charcoal fire to do it. And all I did was set off the fire alarms and the, all it did was gave me a casserole of uncooked stuff that now tasted of charcoal fumes. That was all it did. <laughs> and that's a shame because I'm pretty sure that was actually a good recipe. Well, I'll just try it in my slow cooker, maybe. Yes, I think so. Where am I? You're in a room with part of the, of the floor missing in front of you. Um, there's a, a, like a chair or throne across on the other side and a little ledge. Listen, all of you, this is a place of great magic, but that magic may be denied you unless you can find the way to trigger it. Steps must be taken, but you must know the right steps. They arrive in Merlin's throne room. The team figure out that this has something to do with the steps that they've been writing down because, as usual, Treyguard's prompting is about as subtle as a rhino horn up the you-know-what. Uh, but this is, it, it suddenly changes here and starts to feel a little bit like a cheat. Rather than actually trying to get him to perform, spread out his arms and his fingers to make it look like he is a tree, they just get him to say tree and it works. To be fair, the change came with Scott's team. Yeah, that's true, actually, yeah. But it does feel like a bit of a cop-out. Um, I think maybe Tim Child was worried that the season was getting a bit long in the tooth at this point, and so mm. he, he let them talk the clues to hurry things along. He think of all those embarrassing things that earlier Dungeoneers had to do at this point, like dancing or singing Happy Birthday or, <laughs> or what have you. This feels a little bit um, like they're going a bit easy on this lot. So anyway, the advisor's moving forward and instructs him to say Lion and Crystal. As he's reaching the other side, Merlin appears on the throne before the crack of lightning. It almost makes it seem like the crack of lightning is something he does on purpose to make it more theatrical. Yeah. And then he wasn't ready to appear or something. I think it is just a production mistake. They forgot to play the lightning effect until he was already on the screen. You press one button to let in the feed of Merlin appearing and then another button to overlay the lightning effect. So they probably did the overlay button afterwards instead. Well, maybe that's why he suddenly kind of perks up in his chair. He's just realised he's on screen and he hasn't heard the lightning. Yeah, something. something like that, yeah. So not John Woodnut's fault. So it's 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 a little bit awkward. Just, just, just a little bit. Greetings, Tregard. Is this Martin I see before me? It is indeed, sir. The supplicant has survived much peril to reach you and now desires your aid. I'm sure it does, don't they all? Merlin tells Martin that he seeks two truths and he must have both in order to offer his aid. Here is the first. 16 feet high, 73 miles wide, Romans and pigs fighting either side. What is the name of this great divide? Everybody knows this one, although there are actually more than one possible answer. What's your answer, Mr. H? Well, it's pretty clear that they're getting at Hadrian's Wall. Yeah. The other option would probably be the Antonine Wall, which is uh, just uh, to the north of Glasgow. The boat Glasgow that my family moved to um, in this year was Bear's Den, and it's actually got a remnant of the Antonine Wall and a Roman bathhouse actually in, in, in Bear's Den. Uh, so <laughs> I'd actually been to visit them, I think that very month, in fact. But was it 16 feet high and 73 miles wide, though? Well, no, but neither is Hadrian's Wall these days. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> yeah. It would have been back then, is the thing. The Antonine Wall, I think, would have been a fair answer as well. 
definitely not the Grand Canyon, as uh, one of the advisors <laughs> yeah. The walls of the Grand Canyon are a little bit higher than 16 feet, dear boy. The implication of the way the riddle is worded um, very much, once again, conforms to historical myth rather than fact. The idea that Hadrian's Wall was a war zone between Romano-Britons and Picts is uh, largely discredited these days. Um, the walls main function was actually more civil than military it was a kind of customs control trading area the romans basically used it to monitor people crossing the frontier to do business and they could also use it to impose taxes on them which is the main point really mm. they just wanted the money from, from merchants crossing the boundary also um it's interesting i was watching um a documentary on youtube um and it suggested that the war actually had another purpose that was completely the opposite of the one we normally assume we assume normally that it was that the war was built to keep picked out but it was actually more often used to keep britons from escaping to caledonia to evade roman rule one of the problems before the war was built was british rebel groups were fighting using guerrilla tactics they would cause trouble in roman towns then flee across the frontier to avoid punishment by the legions who couldn't keep track of them then come back another day to attack again now that the war controlled who crossed the frontier and how, rebels were discouraged from causing trouble as they couldn't escape north anymore um, to territories outside Roman control so they could be easily brought to justice. Just a rather interesting detail. In fact, it's, it's, the war was actually quite the opposite of what we sometimes think it was. That is interesting. What documentary was that? I might have to check that out. Scotland History Tours, I think they call themselves. It's presented by a guy from Glasgow, but he's actually Ghanaian by descent, called Bruce Fumi. Um, if you if you can find him, he does some interesting stuff. What was the second one? Oh yes, the second riddle. A crossbow fires bolts. A bow fires arrows. But what does a blowpipe fire? Well, technically, anything you put in it. Yeah, there's several things wrong with this riddle, I'm afraid. It's easy enough to say the correct answer, which is darts. But historical correction again, crossbows don't fire bolts, really. Um, you can get away with calling it a bolt, but the correct name for the ammunition from a crossbow is actually a quarrel. Bolts, such as it was, had not yet been invented. But the, uh, the blowpipe does fire darts, so we'll give you that one. Excellent! Now for your reward. It is called cure, and it's a sort of... Uh universal remedy you can use it on yourself or on other people you can even use it to restore energy but you can use it only once merlin bids martin good luck and disappears the team have a little difficulty guiding martin around the throne but eventually get him to the door i think as soon as he says that you can use the spell on other people we know it's going to be used on another person don't we but uh, also Martin trying to get around this throne. I think he could have used a little bit of initiative. It's pretty clear they're trying to get him to the other side of the chair and he can see the chair, so he could just easily walk around it. Yeah, I would agree. I'm always cautious about giving too much um, stick about manoeuvring to the Dungeoneer because we have to remember they don't have a clear view of anything. But he was so close to the chair, he must have had a decent view of that. Where am I? He's standing in the long corridor. There's exits on both walls. I think there's about four. There's a night. The intruder alert. You've been spotted by some sort of guard, Martin. Get him out, team, fast. Oh, yes. It's the great card of the catacombs. But it disappoints time after time. Trigger talks it up, but it just ain't at the start. 
that was ever true all right. Once again, we got the corridor of the catacombs twice in the same adventure. But different jingles, though. Yes, this is true. The guard doesn't get anywhere near, um, so the scene doesn't have any chance to become exciting. It's a good play by the team again, but again, once again, at the cost of the show, actually losing a certain element of drama. Where am I? You're in a room with five exits, three on the far wall, one on the wall to your left and one on the wall to your right. Well, don't you think he's good? I think he's awfully good. Brilliant. Considering everything and all. Yes, brilliant. But you can't see anything. You've got that hat on, haven't you? Well... You see, what happened was that Motley was rude to Hordris, who's called Hordris the Confuser, and knows quite a lot of magic and hasn't got much of a sense of humour, really. Anyway, to cut a short story, even shorter, Hordris cast a spell and made Motley dumb. And now Motley's got to do mimes for a living, which is an awful shame. I think this may just be the scene when Motley is the most interesting he's ever been to listen to. (laughs) But the team have to go and ruin it, though. For some unthinkable reason, they decide to help Motley get his voice back. I hate this team and I want them to die. Martin, do you think we should use this spell? That's what I'm thinking. We, are, we are in, already know Motley's good. Yeah. Motley's what? Motley's a friend. Because we told him a joke, remember? Did we? Yeah, yeah. in the kitchen. Oh, right. Motley's the joke of it. Oh. Yeah, all right, let's use it then. Shall we? Bigger. Magic. Yeah. Well, I'll yeah. go for yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, then. Okay. Spell casting. C. U. R. Smile, and what's more, I should. Hey, I got me voice back. Lord bless a young sir, put it there. Not really my speed, the old silent stuff. Still, yeah. when you got to earn a crust, needs must. They give Motley his voice back, which will probably help them in their quest. But he doesn't seem to remember meeting Motley before, does he? No. I do, however, like Martin's deadpan sarcasm here when Melly asks him how good Motley is at miming. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah terrific. <laughs> that would be my response, really. <laughs> I'd be honest. I, thought, I don't know. I can't see him. <laughs> that would be a good get out, yeah. Motley tells Martin to call his name anytime he needs him. And then he and Melisandre head back to level one. The team guide Martin through the door on the right. This could be the first example of calling magic in the show. Um... It's not really magic, though, is it? Although you do rather wonder how, when when he does get called, he arrives so quickly, given he's just said that they're heading back to level one. Yeah, and he hears him from level one as well. Which is also interesting, yeah. But um, there's no magic sound effect. He doesn't have to repeat the name three times or anything. It may be they introduced... Um, calling magic in i think it was later this season actually i think mean, they used it on Aldris originally mm. i think they introduced that to make these scenes a little bit more convincing because they appear at a ball of magical power it looks a lot less random than just suddenly walking in off from off screen that may be what provoked it but i don't i'm not sure you can really say this is naming magic itself where am i you're in a long room a lot of bricks and slabs on the floor are missing there's a, a pair of spears coming in and out in front of you, so we'll have to be careful. Right. Okay. It's another throwback. Yes, it is. You had to combine the Veilless courtyard and now the Hall of Spears. This has proven to be quite a nostalgic episode. 
Yes, it is. Halfway across the we've got a small table with some food on it. That's an interesting place to find food, really, isn't it? Yeah. Skull Haunting appears, um, causing a bit of panic. Martin stumbles a little as he tries to make sense of his advisor's suddenly slightly iffy directions, but he does make it through. Although, what do you think? It looks to me like he walked straight through the second set of stairs. Yeah, he definitely makes contact with the second set. Uh, the first set are spoiled visually too because he stops running in a position that is beyond them but still inside their perspective zone and so the spears keep disappearing behind his feet as they cross as well yeah I agree with you I think he did make contact with the second set of spears quite firmly because he stopped right in the middle of their path it was almost like the fire cave if you think about it go go quickly where am I? you're in a, a rocky cavern um, there's a large entrance or exit with mount, and you can see mountains from there. There's two large stalactites or stalagmites hanging down. Right. Find your way out, team. These creatures are harmful. Right. The bats. There's bats flying above you. There's a lot of bats in the cave today, aren't there? Yes. Tregard says that they're harmful, but they don't really seem to be doing anything rather than flying towards the screen. Well, they never do because the animation isn't sufficient to do anything different. That's the problem. The team have no trouble spotting the correct exit here and they guide Martin through it to the second section of caves. This scene is often quite entrancing, I think, but it definitely lacks some oomph a lot of the time. There needs to be some kind of tangible threat added, um, which unfortunately these bats are not really. They're at least making it... Meaning there's some kind of activity going on in there, but they're not they're not actually a threat. Also, past features like the toad that was peering inside also isn't a tangible threat. Ironically, I actually think they could have made better use of the other bat animation, which is the one of them swooping up and down across the screen rather than towards the screen, because you can actually use them to highlight where the exit from the cave is, um, because they'll disappear through that rather than going through the side of the screen. That would have actually been a more useful way of using the bats here, but... Uh, I guess they didn't think of it. Where am I this time? You're standing in a cavern. There's like a sort of stone box shape. And above it, there's a piece of what looks like a chalice. A horns, a horns Warning, Martin. Goblins have your scent. Hurry, but this object is vital to your quest. Go forward. I'm not sure we need the goblin horn graphic that appears in the corner here. Yeah, it's it does seem a little bit patronising, doesn't it? And I don't suppose it hurts to let the team know which direction it's coming from, but um, all you really need to know is it's time to move. Martin doesn't have any trouble climbing onto the altar and grabbing the chalice piece. He jumps down on the opposite side, completely destroying the illusion of it being built into the wall, and moves on. The goblin horn sounds again, complete with graphic, and the goblins give chase. Yeah, you notice after the change of camera angle, the altar is now flush against the wall. Continuity. But uh, uh, that's not the Dungeoneer's fault. I mean, if you're going to put the table there, that's fine, or, or the block, whatever it was. But why didn't they put it flush against the wall? What follows here is some of the weirdest manoeuvring we've seen for a while. And I have to say... I don't think it's all the advisor's fault. So the team tell Martin to walk forwards, and he asks if he should walk slowly. Now, for no reason whatsoever, and actually quite against the clear indication of the fact that there's goblins behind you, the team say yes. And Martin begins to move forward at a snail's pace. But it's a strange thing to ask in the first place, just out of the blue. It might be something to do with... Um, 
Nah, nah, you're right. I can't think. Of <laughs> I'm trying to think of an excuse for on, on off the spot there, and I can't think of one. Uh, it's a, maybe it's something to do with the, the spear being hit by the spears earlier and, and carrying a mortal injury. I don't know. But then it gets more weird because he's instructed to speed up, and that's the moment he stops stone still, and they ask him to turn left. Um, he turns too far. Then once he's pointing in the right direction, they instructed to walk quickly forward. It's it's not just weird; it's bad. Um, it's the first bad maneuver we've seen from this lot probably since the fire cave at the start of the episode. Uh, it's, it is very very weird. It's it's come out of, out of nowhere, and it's they should be past this by now. This lot, generally speaking, they are. It makes you think what happened off screen. Like if uh, Scott's quest, we found out that they'd gone through the wrong door. They were then, they were told off screen that they should try and go through the door on, on the right. And then they were very adamant about going through certain doors and all that after that. So it makes you wonder if they were had a talking to over something. Yeah, but it's difficult to say what it would be. I mean, mm. again, we could go back to the Armour um, Hall of Spears, where it does appear that they got away with with making contact with the second set of spears. Maybe they got a talking to about that, and so there's a, there's a now they're trying to step a bit more carefully and a bit more cautiously. That's a possibility, but it's just it's bad maneuvering. It's it, um, I'd rather that they were reckless and at least decisive. Than sort of stippy, stippy, steppy, turny, turny. Oh no, turn back. Oh no, 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 not turn quite far that back. Uh, uh, can you walk forward slowly, 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 carefully? No, 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 no. Stop, stop, stop. You know all that. Oh no, no. there's something Speed coming. Up. Speed up, oh, no. goblins. Speed up. Oh. Looks like goblins. where? Quick behind you. Keep coming. Right, stop, stop. Turn, turn to your left. left. No, no, a bit right. That's Go it. forward Go quickly. <laughs> Warning, a timeout approaching. Hmm. Well, at least the goblins can't get to Martin just yet. And I'm unlikely to get any more out of you. At least, not until the temporal disruption passes. So you see, there's not much point in your staying. I mean, it's not very exciting when they're all frozen in time. So you might just as well slip back into your own era. Will Martin escape the goblins and reach level three? Who knows? But if you care, join us again soon for Nightmare. And if you think it's merely a game, then just try losing. So what do you think of the episode as a whole? First, I'm going to say, I love the sign-off. If you think it's merely a game, just try losing. That is, <laughs> that is, that is very season one, Traeger, that is. In fact, despite some ragged presentation flaws here and there, for the most part, this is one of the best episodes of the season. Yeah. It's uh, reasonably fast-paced. I think it's got something like 14 rooms in it, so quite an air of threat in a lot of them, which is always important. Mm. It's one of the problems with the later seasons was there's a lot of rooms with no threat in them at all. There's some old favourite locations brought back and monsters make their returns, including the greatest of them all. Automatic bonus point for that one. We've got a team that are quite cool-headed, but with plenty of wit and assertiveness. And best of all, even Motley was silent for over half of this <laughs> scene. Bliss! Bliss, man! Bliss! <laughs> yeah, they are They are a good team with some weird moments of... Uh, just, just, um, just, just sudden moments out of nowhere where they suddenly, they suddenly lose the lose their focus but yeah but even that helps to make the episode more entertaining yeah i don't think it does any any great harm except in that last scene but yeah overall that that's an episode i'll happily sit down and watch anytime okay you can follow us on twitter we're at nightmare pod want to support the podcast we're nightmare pod on patreon 
Speaking of Patreon, here's a shout out to Keepers of the Book of Quests, Peter Pulsford and David M. Rabbit. Also, advisors Benjamin Bloom, Peter Sidor, David Thompson, and our newest supporter, Stephen Whelan. Also, Dungeoneer Peter Courage. Okay, you can support us on Patreon at Dungeoneer level or above to get your name mentioned on the podcast. Higher level perks also receive merchandise, have access to exclusive episodes, and if you pledge as a Keeper of the Book of Quests, We'll even offer you the chance to be a guest on this podcast. Our website is nightmarepod.co.uk. And just a new thing to add in now, those who use the mobile app Sedge can now download some of our jingles as ringtones. Simply log on to the app and search for Temporal Discussion. If you're looking for Temporal Discussion merchandise, including t-shirts, stickers, and other products, it's at nightmarepod.redbubble.com. You can email us at podcast at nightmarepod.co.uk. And just keep telling yourself... It's only a podcast. Isn't it? Oh yes, it's the great card of the calculus. But it disappoints time after time. Trigger tops it up, but it just ain't got the stuff. And yes, that was a virtual run.